I am Andrea Butcher, and this is Being at Work. Being a leader is hard. So on this show, I set out to talk with experienced leaders to learn from their pivotal moments, how they led through the challenges we can all relate to but are often unheard. Today's guest is an absolute dynamo, a Six Sigma black belt who is on a mission as she leads the movement, Let Love Lead Us. Glodine Champion is a facilitator, speaker, business process expert, and leadership coach. Specializing in communication and accountability, she helps visionary leaders create diverse, process-driven cultures, and she does it by cultivating courage, building confidence, with servant leadership, and a lot of fun and humor along the way. She's currently writing a leadership book where she uses the childhood teachings of her mother. As we'll talk about today, she calls them old school black mama teachings to reinforce complex concepts she's learned about process and lean methodologies, courage and vulnerability in leadership, and the importance of authenticity. Glodine lives on Del Monte Beach in Monterey, California, and can be found most mornings walking her adorable Tibetan terrier Tashi along the shoreline giving gratitude for the beauty of her expansive backyard. During today's conversation, she highlights a recent pivotal moment that Tashi played a key role in. She had a conversation with a couple that she likely wouldn't have had because love led the way. She and the couple walked away better for the interaction in the process. Check it out. So I'm going to say this all comes back to my mother, which is ironic that at, well, just turned 53, that I would appreciate and value the way that she raised me. But over my career, I have had multiple opportunities to see that because my mom exposed me to so much as a single Black mother, and she adopted me as a single parent. So she opened the world to me and she let me see that possibilities, all the possibilities that I could have. And so I've kind of created my career based on where I could find the most joy and do the most good as opposed to to like chasing a title or feeling like I couldn't chase the title because of who I am. And I've kind of followed this path. I had the pleasure of working for a Six Sigma Master Black Belt and that opportunity changed my life and got me into Lean Six Sigma and he was like the first leader I had that said, Glodine, your mother raised you for this. Like you came into the world a servant leader and now you got to take this out into the world. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I've been living in, in the space of process and putting people first and trying to set my leaders up for success so they look good. And I was really focused on work and off of social media and kind of had my head in the sand around the news. I had no idea what was going on in our country for at least two years, like the the nuts and bolts of it. And then on June- Was that purposeful? That was purposeful. I felt like social media had taken our ability to connect with each other on a real level away. And I just decided I didn't want to have any parts of that. And then the news just was like constantly depressing. Like, what do we have to be, what are we celebrating? Because it's like, we don't have anything to celebrate because everything's so negative. So I just kind of stuck my head in the sand for a couple of years and focused on work. 
And then um, June 2nd, my cousin called me and told me that they were rioting and looting in her neighborhood. And she lives in a, a part of Chicago where she's so far off the beaten path, it didn't make sense. And so anyway, long story short, I wound up learning about Ahmaud Aubrey, George Floyd, and Amy Cooper, Breonna Taylor, all in the span of 24 hours. And I was heartbroken. And I didn't know what else to do, so I went back to social media. And I posted kind of where I was and how I was feeling about what I'd learned. And the whole Black Lives Matter, like, going from the United States across the world. And I was like, what? I got to do something. I can't, you know, I feel like I had let my community down by just pretending as if none of none of this ever existed. So I started off with what I was calling Love Our Neighbors. And, you know, I live in Monterey. It's a beautiful place. So I was going about telling people I love them, total strangers, and buying people lunch and paying extra at the Starbucks um, window. And it felt like it was going to just be a moment in time and I needed to make a bigger impact. So I started thinking like, how can I, how can I transition this into something more meaningful? And so Let Love Lead Us came to me. All I knew was that we needed to do it based on love, learn, listen, and lead. And I was talking to a friend of mine, Brian Stevens, on the phone, and I had the let love in my head. And he said, let's let love lead us. And I was like, yes, that's it. (laughs) So as they say, a movement was born. I feel like it's a movement of one. Or I actually have um, some allies, and we recently did a workshop called Love Talk, Why Black Lives Matter. It was a four-week session. It was awesome. And so now I don't feel like it's so much a movement of one. I feel like it's going to become something that's meaningful in the world. At a time when it's so needed right now. So Let Love Lead Us is this movement. Love, learn, listen, and lead are really the cornerstones of that. Well, I know you have a story that highlights that love, learn, listen, and lead in action. Tell us about the a, a pivotal moment on the beach with this couple. Yes. <laughs> so in the space of walking around telling total strangers I love them, I was walking my dog <laughs> on the beach and I hadn't said it that day. And I saw a couple walking toward me and my dog ran in their direction. So I said, well, I'll tell them. I love them. So when they got close enough, I said, can I talk to you for a second? And they said, sure. And I said, so I just want to tell you that I love you and I wish nothing but the best for you. And they looked perplexed, like, really? (laughs) And the wife said, oh my God, that was so nice. And I said, yeah, I mean it. And then the husband said, I thought you stopped me because of my hat. And I looked up at the top of his head and it said, make America great again my heart dropped. I didn't know what to do because I was like, oh my God, I wouldn't have stopped. If I'd seen his hat initially, I don't think I would have stopped them. So I thought, well, you got two choices right now. You can like, you know, let the hat be the reason you walk away or you can stand in how you're feeling right now. So I said, you know, I've always wanted to ask a Trump supporter this question. And he said, go ahead. I think he was bracing himself for something crazy. And I said, when was America ever great? And he looked at me for a long time and I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. And he said, you know, based on the current state of our country and the way Black people have been treated in this country, I guess I can't really say it's ever been great, at least not for you. And I said, yeah. And then we had 
this amazing conversation about race and politics and in an open, loving, non-confrontational way. And they asked me some really hard questions about, you know, being Black in this country. And and I, because I said to them at some point while we were talking that when Trump was elected, it was the first time that I'd ever been fully aware of my Blackness and afraid. Like, I don't live in the space of fear, but I was fearful. And I didn't like the way that felt on me. And we had a good talk about that. And we were out there for at least an hour and I had to, I had to go because my bladder was calling me. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise I know we would have been out there until sunset. And as we were leaving, I said, because I felt so close to them in, in those minutes that we stood there talking. And I said, I know the whole social distancing thing, but I feel like I want to hug you. And they were both like, yes. And we hugged each other. (laughs) And as I was getting ready to walk away, they asked me like, well, how can we help? And I said, love your neighbor, especially if they look like me. And the guy said, you got it. It still makes me, it still gives me goosebumps when I tell that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the, I've heard the story multiple times and there's so much in that to unpack, you know, so let's go back to the beginning of the story where, so you, you have in a very disciplined way decided I'm going to go out and I'm going to love people. And you're, you're purposely expressing that. And so you hadn't done it yet that day. You see this couple on the beach. And before you can make it over to them, Tashi, your Tibetan terrier, who you just love, does it for you. <laughs> so isn't there something in that, right? I mean, just the, the unconditional love of dogs. There's no barriers. There are no colors. It is just that talk about letting love lead. So Tashi led you to this couple. And you said you would not have approached them if you had noticed his hat. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. And the thing that I trust, especially when I'm with Tashi, I had a boy dog for a long time and and I didn't, I didn't notice the difference until I got a girl dog. She's very protective, but she's also very present when we're together. And if she feels negative energy, she lets me know. And so the fact, whenever she goes to people, I follow her or I will at least allow her to say hello to them because she doesn't do it often. So the fact that she was going to them made me follow her. Absolutely. You, you, you trust that. Well, and your connection with her, then yeah, you quickly followed. But the, I, I'm interested that you didn't notice his hat. It, what, tell me about that. Were you, were you just thinking about what you were going to say? I was looking at, I was looking at Tashi and the wife, I was watching her engage with Tashi. Like, you know, Tashi's cute. And so people are always like, oh my God, she's so cute. And then they go to pet her and then she walks away. And that was what, that was what was happening in that moment. So I was more focused on her than I was on him. So it was disarming. And, and isn't there an important message in that? What are we paying attention to? The hat would have kept you from leading with love. But instead, because you f- followed love's lead, <laughs> literally <laughs> right there there you were in the conversation and then it's interesting you also said that he said i thought you were coming over because of my hat so he also made an assumption around the hat yeah and i think that for where we are in this climate people that have been silenced a long time about how they feel aren't silent anymore so he's probably gotten the flack i never asked him why he thought that. 
but I'm assuming that it was because he's probably gotten some flack about wearing that hat in this current racial climate. And also he's walking around in the hat, right? So he also feels a level of comfort. And there are a lot of people that wear those hats. And so the fact that people can come together and have those conversations is is the real value. You said also, I want to talk about you approaching them, what that was like for you. So you had set a goal to do this. And so no doubt that that drove you. you know, we, we've already established Tashi kicked it off. But what's that like when you're now you've got Tashi to help disarm, but are you anxious or nervous when you approach people just to tell them that you love them and to connect with them? What's that like? No, well, no. <laughs> I think I came into the world comfortable talking to strangers. <laughs> I remember after my mom passed, I found a letter that she had started writing to a friend of hers. And it said that I never met a stranger. I was two when she wrote the letter. And she said how she had to drag me away from people because I would just start talking. So I've never been uncomfortable talking to people. Telling people that I love them actually made me, after I said it the first time, I was nervous the first time I said it. After I said it the first time to a complete stranger and they said, thank you, and I love you too, I was like, I'm going to say it to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what's the reaction that you typically get? Is it that? I was usually getting like a smile. I I would say it when I was walking on the trail by my house. And so, you know, these people, most of the people were were exercising in some shape or form or fashion. And so I don't know that they were truly connected with what I was saying. I think they just heard it and said thank you and kept moving. But in the spaces where I was like either in a store or I've said it to a, a few of my neighbors or on the beach. And I think mostly on the beach, it was cool because you don't know where these people are from, right? Everybody that comes to Monterey doesn't live. I mean, everybody that comes to my beach doesn't necessarily live here. But at at bare minimum, I got to thank you. No one ever ignored me. No one ever like heard the words and felt, you know, some negative, some need to have a negative response. At bare minimum, I at least got to thank you or a smile. Although my friends are like, are you crazy? (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of it, though, for my friends, my Black friends specifically, was like, how are you walking around talking about love right now? And I was like, because we've been talking about hate for so long. We've been responding to this with such negative energy. And I had a lot of friends that said, don't ask me to do anything I don't love. I can't love anybody right now. I have a Black son. I have a Black husband. I'm not, no, I'm not doing it. And I was like, okay, I'll do it for you. Well, and and you're intentional about how you feel and making choices that align with that feel-good energy, and it just feels better to love. Right. And that's, I suspect that's why you're not angry. You choose, you're choosing love instead. Yes. And I think that the reason all of this started was because I teach my clients to communicate from a place of love and to operate from a place of love. And that's what made me think, well, you're teaching people how to do this in the workplace. Why not take it out into the world and see how it actually works? Like just with no expectations, no agenda, just everything else has not worked. Let's just try love. Well, and you start with you, right? That's that's another thing that I, I see is you... You, you like you very much are taking care of yourself first 
talk about that, like that nurturing your soul and getting right with yourself. How, how have you done that? So for many, many years, I was more interested in giving love than I was expecting love in return or demanding love in return. And I got to a point probably, I'm going to say a month and a half ago, where I was like, you're spreading love, but what are you doing to take care of you? And I've had a lot of people in different spaces, like people that do spiritual work, tell me that I give a lot of my energy away and they're concerned that I don't get it back. And so it's been on the top of my mind, but I can't say that I've consciously done anything about it. But I had to ask myself, are you telling people to love and spread a little love along the way? And I started this self-love Sunday where on that one day a week, instead of giving love, we should be giving love to ourselves instead of giving it to other people. And so then I thought, well, what are you doing for you? And I was like, well, not a whole lot. And so I had this idea because I'm single and it's been the first time in all of my life where I've been decidedly single. After a bad relationship, I decided that I needed to take time for myself. It's been three years. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to marry myself. And so I I went online and started looking for rings. I was really serious about it. I wrote vows. And then I found the ring that I wanted. And I said, when this ring comes, the Sunday after I get it, I'm going to have a, a wedding ceremony on the beach with just me and Tashi. So we walked down to the beach and there's a little, there's a rock near the path that I go down. And I sat on the rock and I read my vows and kind of put it into the universe and said, I love you, Glodine, and I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make sure that you take, you take care of you because you can't take care of anybody else unless you feel truly loved. And then I folded up the vows And I put the ring on and I was like, and I love you. And then it was like, it changed everything for me from that point. Because now I'm looking at the world through the eyes of someone who feels loved. Like whether somebody comes into my life or not, it doesn't matter. And I know I have a lot of people in my life who love me. But loving yourself is an entirely different experience. Like truly loving and appreciating yourself wherever you are. I feel like I'm overweight but I am not beating myself up about it anymore. I feel more inspired to do something about it because I'm not beating myself up about it anymore. Yeah, and we and we all know the power of, you know, self-acceptance and self-awareness and self-love is a hard thing to do. The the fact that, I mean, you you were so committed to it that you took that I mean, that's a powerful act of commitment to myself that you made. And I love how you just talk about it with so much confidence and openness without apology. Like this is what, this is important to me right now. That's admirable. Thank you. Well, I spent a lot of years not doing it, right? I spent a lot of years not taking care of yourself is one thing, but loving yourself is a, is like two levels deeper than that. Because I, I consider self-care something you have to do, right? You have to brush your teeth. You have to take a shower. You have to eat, but doesn't mean that you're taking care of your body, you know, eating right. Self-love makes you look at it differently. Like I changed my, one, the minute I decided to do this, I changed my diet. I became more present to the fact that, you know, alcohol and eating fatty foods is not a, a sign of love. Now, 
I love cooking and I love making fried chicken and waffles and, you know, soul food, but that's not something you cook every day and you, you shouldn't eat it every day, but you should be very conscious about what you're doing. And for, you know, for a lot of years, people would say your body is your temple. And I was like, yeah, my body is just getting me from point A to point B. No, your body is your temple. Yeah. Now you're looking at it a bit differently because of the commitment that you've made. Yeah. Well, and your your self-love Sundays are a, a like physical reflection of that. Like you, you, not only are you modeling it, you're putting out content every, every Sunday to highlight that, to provide tips and, and then you also, so it's, it starts with you and the love you're giving yourself so that you're in a position then to give and love others authentically in a real deep way. So then you also have your teachable moment Mondays that also come from a place of love. Talk about those. Oh my gosh. Those came to me because I was in a wine shop here in Monterey. It was um, Father's Day and my neighbors were moving and I love my neighbors. They uh, have a four-year-old and she's my best friend. <laughs> and in fact, when they were moving, she gave me some Mickey Mouse ears, some leopard print Mickey Mouse ears, and she told me I was her favorite person in the whole world. And so um, we had decided we were going to have dinner together on Father's Day. So I went to this wine shop to get some wine, and I wanted to gift them with some Orange Swift wine. And I had three bottles, and I set them on the counter, and I was looking for more. And there was a white woman at the counter. She was a customer. And she looked down at the bottles and she saw the price that I would, I knew she was looking at the price because I hate to say this, but it's just something that I think black people are hyper aware of is how people are judging what we're doing in open spaces. And so it didn't occur to me that she could have been looking at the label because the first thing I thought was she was looking at the price. And sure enough, she turned around to me and said, I've never spent $52 on a bottle of wine. In my head, I was I heard my mother say, see, white people want to spend your money and their money. It was a, a sarcastic thing she used to say just to help me stay focused on what was important. And the other part of me was like, okay, so what? I don't care. And then I thought, you're making an assumption about why she said it. So take a moment. And when you respond... Respond from the place that you've been telling everybody else to respond from. So I thought, well, she did say she's never spent the money on the wine. My first thought was to buy a bottle for her. But then I thought that might not be received. You know, sometimes people don't receive in a way that makes them, you know, makes them feel good. So instead, I just said, well, softly delicious. And then she said, oh, and she left the store. And I thought, you know what? That was, to me, the indication. I thought, okay, maybe she's trying to start a conversation. I had all these thoughts in my head. Like, she trying to start a conversation? Is she trying to make a dig at me? You know, is she, is she doing what my mother said? Is she start trying to spend my money? Is she, like, passing judgment? So I thought, well, if you say something from a place of love, you'll see where she's coming from. And she just said, oh. And I thought, well, wow. <laughs> okay. Maybe she was coming from a negative place, but guess what? It doesn't matter because it was diffused. Whatever her intentions were, they were diffused based on my response. And I didn't leave the store frustrated. And as I was driving home, I called my cousin and I told her about the experience. And she goes, 
That was a teachable moment, huh? And I said, yeah. And then I was like, that's it. That's a teachable moment. (laughs) I'm going to go put it on Facebook and share it because I know that in this climate, Black people are hyper aware of anything that happens, anything that somebody says. And I'm trying to diffuse that because we can't have authentic conversations to change the narrative if we're not willing to let white people ask questions or say things that may not be right in the attempt to understand each other better. Yes, because we make all kinds of assumptions. And so what you're doing it just through these these stories, these I mean, these are real life experiences that, oh, I can see that. I can see myself in that. Where are you posting these? Facebook you mentioned? Yes, I post them on Facebook and LinkedIn. And then I have a YouTube channel, just Gloating Champions YouTube channel, where they're posted as well. And the the reaction to the first one was shocking because I thought that I was actually sharing positive information. And one of my white friends who I live next door to in Chicago saw the post and immediately commented and said, I've never heard this whole thing about white people spending black people's money. White people don't care about black people's money. And the problem is black people are too sensitive. And and then she went on to say how she's been, she's never experienced racism until she moved to the black community and it's been directed at her biracial son. And I was like, wow, this woman lived next door to me for two years. I, I invited her into my home. I had my, my ex who I was dating at the time kind of mentor her son so he would have a positive black uh, male role model in his life. I cooked for them. And I was like, she said that to me. Then I had to also, because remember, now I'm now I'm consciously self-aware that I cannot be reactionary. I have to consciously and with intent respond to things from a place of love. So I said to her, the nicest thing you could do right now is just accept our truth. And then I you know, went on to explain kind of how she may have misunderstood what I was saying and the and the point of my message. And then she deleted her comments and blocked me from Facebook. And it broke my heart. Like I didn't know what to do with it. So then that was next week's. That was the next week's teachable moment. And then they kind of grew from there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still I'm still kind of floored from, from that reaction. But I get it, right? I get it because we're all human and we all respond to things differently. But I am also happy that I didn't come at her from a, a negative place. Yes. And you're, and the, the, the thing that is coming up for me in that story is you're not responsible for how she responds, right? You're responsible for what you do in not being reactionary. And that's what, that's what you did. So who, and who knows what her thoughts are? Who knows what seeds were planted or not? Or if you'll ever get closure from that or not? Yeah. Cause we don't know each other's triggers. Right. And so we can't make somebody feel bad because they were triggered by something we said. The objective is to kind of work toward understanding, which is what I was trying to do. But then I also had to recognize that she's in her hurt right now. So I can't I wouldn't be able to reach her even if I wanted to. So I had to just let it go. And who knows? Who knows how deep and why that hurt is or in what it even is. Right. Yeah. I mean, at, you know, in any relationship, we can all relate to this. My husband and I had a had a challenge, challenging situation pop up recently. And I thought, oh, it's no big deal. You know, we got through it. And, but he hadn't gotten through it. And so yesterday he had the courage to like bring it back and say like, hey, I'm not okay. And, 
and he was making assumptions and I was clearly making assumptions. And had we not had that time to come back, you know, we both would have walked away from that situation feeling very different. So it's also the nature of the relationship. That's why it's so tough on Facebook and social media. You know, Brene Brown says it's hard to hate someone up close. It's easy to make assumptions when we don't know the person. We don't know their story. We don't know their hurts. We can make up all kinds of things about them. It's so easy in a heartbeat. And and that's the other thing. That's another reason why I left social media was because I noticed that people don't really read for comprehension, right? It, it was feeling like people were reading to react rather than really understand what was being said. It was more times than not, I had to go explain. Like when I was traveling around the world, I was in Egypt and I was sharing my experience in Egypt. And, you know, some of my posts asked really hard questions about Black consciousness. And I had friends that responded in to, to my posts in a negative way because they misunderstood what I was saying. And that's the, that's the struggle with, not, with writing. I, that's one of the things I tell my clients is, if you're going back and forth with somebody in an email, it's probably clear you need to pick up the phone. <laughs> yes. Yes, because think think about when you read someone's comments. You are literally reading the, all the nonverbals and the body language and their tone and, right, that you're, you're making that up. And you're, exactly. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Well, my friend, thank you. Thank you for being a voice of love and even when you don't always feel like loving, being really intentional, but all the stories you have shared really highlight that for me, that it's a choice at the end of the day. And with intentionality and thoughtfulness, you're doing that, modeling that and putting out such great content that's so helpful. So you mentioned LinkedIn, Facebook, your YouTube channel. Those are the best places to get this great content and and to share this content with others as well. Yes, please. You can also go to my website. It's glodeenchampion.com. And the the Let Love Lead Us kind of is explained there and what I do for my business. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. And I am loving everything that you're doing in the space of leadership. And so I'm so very honored to have you in my life and so grateful that we've connected like this. We are in this together. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story. 